Welcome to this Zenler podcast. So in this podcast, this is one of our speakers from our Course Creators Energize Conference 2023. Now, obviously, some of them screen share. So the best experience is to watch this in video. But there's still loads of takeaway points you can listen to in this podcast. I've also dropped a link in the description where you can go straight to the replays of this conference. Enjoy. The videos in particular, the presentations, the whatever it is that you sit inside your training courses, you know, as well as I do, they have to have that magic balance. It's it's content and structure design and delivery and all those three things kind of sit together in a nice little balance. Interestingly, a lot of people freak out about the delivery and they go, oh my God, that's the hardest part. It turns out the most important part of your audience after the content is the structure and design. So don't sweat about the delivery. There's your first big takeaway. But I do want to change the way we think about things just a little minute, uh, just a bit, because I don't want to concentrate on that. I want to concentrate on the difference between what are called hygiene factors and performance factors. Um, A hygiene factor is something which, if you get it wrong, your presentation bombs and there's nothing you can do to save it. But if you get it right, your presentation is okay. A performance factor is something which won't have any effect whatsoever unless and until you've got your hygiene factors right. Okay, so you get your hygiene factors right and they stop having any effect at that point. And then your presentation factors, your performance factors take over after that. It's a bit like, you know, um, wheels on this this supercar. Okay, Uh, hygiene factors would be the wheels. One wheel, it's going nowhere. Two wheels, nowhere. Three wheels, nowhere. Four wheels, it's going nowhere. It's it's now going to move. And if you want it to go faster, at that point, you have to start giving it a bigger engine. Okay, so there's no point in giving it a fifth wheel. That's your hygiene factors taken care of. And now you have to start giving it a bigger engine to get it to go faster. And I'm going to be concentrating today on the performance factors of your presentation, the things that make your presentation go from okay to awesome. Having said that, the very first thing I'm going to talk about is a hygiene factor. You need your audiences to pay attention to, you know, to to, to what you are doing. It is the only thing that you can't get away with with not sorting out. If they're not listening to you, nothing else is going to happen. So I'm pretty sure that you know as well as I do that at the start of your presentation, start of your video, start of your course, whatever it is, the audience is paying a shared load of attention. And by the end, they're kind of tuned out, bored to death and all that kind of jazz. Maybe they don't even finish the course. Um depressingly, the actual graph looks like that. They start off paying attention, and then within the first three or four minutes, they stop paying attention. Turns out that when you actually get the proper scientific analysis of this kind of thing, the pattern for whether people are paying attention is much more complicated. It starts high, goes up, bombs out, plateaus down low, and recovers right at the end. I'm going to give this some labels here just so we can talk about them. A is the start of your presentation. B is when they stop paying attention and it goes, uh, and C is when they start paying attention again. Okay. So the problem with most presentations for courses and all that kind of jazz is that all the funky stuff happens in this middle bit here when nobody is paying attention. So here is your first really powerful but dirty trick. I want to ask yourself, what is it you do at point C? at the end of a presentation, the end of a lecture, the end of a video, whatever the hell it is, that makes people pay attention again, okay? What is it that makes them pay attention again? And it's it's usually something like you say, so in conclusion, 
or in summary or to wrap up or here are the takeaways or you get all that kind of jazz whatever it is that you do then here is your first little dirty trick instead of just doing it at the end of your presentation break your presentation down into four five minute presentations and whatever you do at usually at point c i want you to do at the end of each mini bit of your presentation, at the end of each, let's call them chapters for the sake of argument, okay? Whatever it is that you do then, you do at intervals all the way through. So you could say, so does anybody have any questions? Let's wrap this up, or that kind of jazz. And if you're lucky, if you get it right, what happens is that the attention curve just stays high and higher. It's never gonna stay completely flat at the top. Nobody is that good but it's worth just thinking about. And there are other tricks you can use to uh, to move yourself along. You could, for example, swap between uh, slides and yourself telling a story, or you could swap between the colored thing of the slides or the screen, whatever it is. But you really need to be absolutely unsubtle, like a well-aimed half brick in terms of getting people to go, oh, right, that was the end of a chapter, reset and start again. If nothing else, think of it as being a bit like a novel. When you get to the end of a chapter, there's a half a blank page um, at the end of the chapter, and then you turn over the page, and there's the title, and off you go on the next chapter. So you know it's a fresh start. Yeah, I know, we're all reading Kindles rather than uh, real books, but you get the you get the idea. Okay, does that make sense? That's your first really big, powerful little thing. So you, you change the topics as brutally as you can. You let them know that things are swiveling. So this is me saying, I'm done. Right? I want to move on to a another topic, if you like, something completely different. Brace yourselves. Here we go. Okay. This is how much you should tell your audience in your slides. Okay. Let me just pop this in there. The more information you give your audiences, the less likely they are to remember any of it. Not just bits of it, any of it. Here's, here's why. Okay. Suppose you have a presentation or a video in your course or whatever the heck, and it contains three really big important ideas, and your audience has enough brain space, enough memory capacity to cope with those three big ideas. All is good. But then, because you're an expert, you think of two more things that they need to know. Here's a question for you. Just because you've told them five things rather than three, have you suddenly made your audience any smarter? Obviously not. Now, all that's happened is that you've given them more information than they can process. Okay. Now, I can see a popping down. Sharon's saying, write it down. I'm afraid that doesn't work. That just gets them to write it down. And when they're writing it down, they're not paying attention to what's going on. So what happens here is one of three things. Either they pay attention to the first three things you tell them, because that's when their head is freshest, or they pay attention to the last three things you tell them because, hey, that's when, you know, that's the most recent stuff you have got to tell them, right? So those are options one and two. And option three is, this is a trick question. I shouldn't trust Simon and something else happens altogether. And of course, I'm afraid it's option three because your audience, whether it's live or online or recorded or whatever, they trust you to have curated the information and to tell them everything they need to know, but only what they need to know. 
which means that they try and spread their memory capacity all the way out across everything you have told them. And as you can see, that means that they spread their memory over too thin and they don't remember anything, which is why I'm afraid the stats for how much people remember from presentations are quite so shocking. Uh, there is some research that says that after only half an hour from a live presentation, I have to confess, from a live tech presentation, people only remember about 10% of what you have taught them. That's pretty damn scary. Now, the stats are slightly different, obviously, for online presentations. They're worse. And for video presentations, because people can go over them and over them and over them, it is slightly, and I do mean statistically, only slightly better. The reason all of this happens, by the way, let me just bring myself up big. The reason this happens is of some, called of something called the curse of the expert, which is that you know so much, you don't know what your audience doesn't know. So here's an example. If you tell people that you want to uh, compare the results of technique A with the results of technique B, what you're doing is comparing the results of A with the results of B. But what your audience is doing is comparing the model, the technique of A and its results with the techniques and the bits and bobs of B and its results. That's a shared load more work for them to do. So you need always, always, always to remember to tell your audience less. If in doubt, imagine you are talking to a reasonably smart 12-year-old. Doesn't have to be 12, doesn't have to be reasonably smart, but that's a good crude starting point. Okay, so what I'm going to move on to now, this is the end of a chapter, what I'm going to move on to now is something completely different, okay? I am going to start talking about the five principles of good slide design. Now, these principles apply whatever the heck you're talking about, okay? It doesn't matter if it's an online course or uh, anything you like, okay? But in, the principles apply across the board. So what I've got shown here, just turn myself off so you can see all of it, what you've got shown here is a slide which has, what well, it's the jargon here is it has 36% retention, which means that on average, about 36% of you will remember it after about a month which doesn't sound all that hot until I point out that the statistics for your bog standard bullet point slide, <laughs> they have about a 1% retention. Okay, so it's still rubbish, but it is 30 times better than the normal stuff. Okay, so here are the big five reasons that this slide is more memorable than your traditional bullet point slide. Okay, principle number one. Okay, it's good to look at. Okay, I'll just bring it back up then for a second so you can see it. Here you go. I know it's not a work of art. I know it's not Michelangelo's Pietà or the Mona Lisa or something, but it's visually attractive. And it turns out that we trust more, remember more, and believe more stuff that is physically attractive to us. The original research for this was carried out actually in the States where they looked at uh, courts of law. And they discovered that all other things being equal, if the jury thought the defendant was good looking, then the defendant statistically was less likely to be found guilty. If they were found guilty, they were less likely to be sent down for a custodial sentence. And if they did get sent down for a custodial sentence, statistically, that sentence tended to be shorter. Okay, so with a crude tongue-in-cheek thing here, what that means is that I can get away with anything I like, and Kevin, man, you're screwed. You're just completely, utterly stuffed. Okay, so principle number one, 
do whatever you do to make your presentation as good looking as you possibly, possibly, possibly can make it. Let me just bring the slide back up so you can see it. There you go. Okay. Principle number two is called effort and integration. I just took myself in the corner there. Effort and integration. And that means that you want everything to look like it is deliberately hanging together. It wants to look like you intended it rather than an accident because people trust stuff that it looks like there has been effort behind. So for example, you'll notice that it is not as you know it is not an accident that the words skills, equipment, attitude, the three things you need for a good presentation, it is not a surprise, not a coincidence, it is not luck that they are the same color as the earth or the seas of the earth at least. It looks like everything is hung together a you know just a little bit, which means you can't try and make your slides good looking that's principle number one remember you can't make them good looking just by doing something like that because it's not integrated it just looks like you've gone oh my god this is ugly as hell i need to make it pretty oh i don't know i'll stick a picture in there which may or may not have something to do with the content but even if the presentation is about dolphins it just looks like you've stuck it on there randomly so if you want to make it integrated here you go. Here's a slightly better version. It's not great. I'm not pretending this slide is the best thing in the world. I am saying it is better than the last one in terms of audience being able to remember it. Okay. So you've got the text there. That's just the same. You see the text is the same color as the dolphin's fins and the splash from the dolphin goes behind the bullet point. You shouldn't be using bullet points anyway, but if you are, there you go. You want to get them integrated into the image in some way, shape or form. Three options for you here in terms of how you get the uh, how you get that thing. Um, first is my my go to is always a place called Pixabay, Pixabay.com, and they just give images away because they're awesome. If that doesn't work, try Pexels.com. That's P-E-X-E-L-S.com. Or um, if you have an image and you want to just take away the background, you can try the remove background function within PowerPoint itself. It's not difficult to get stuck. There are plenty of help facilities to uh, to do that for you. It's not great and you're better off doing it in a dedicated piece of software if you can, but it's, you know what, it's better than nothing. So let me go back to the slide. There you go. So there's principles one and two. Principle number three, let me just bring the slide back up there. Principle number three is pattern. There are some suggestions, there's plenty of research on this, and some of it goes as far as saying that anything that is presented with a pattern is up to 12 times more memorable. Okay, up to 12 times more memorable. Let me give you an example of this. If I took a whole bunch of 194 post-it notes, and I stuck them up on the wall behind me and said, you have five minutes to memorize all of those post-it notes. My money is on the fact that you couldn't do it. On the other hand, if I rearranged those post-it notes on the wall behind me, so they formed the lyrics of a Katy Perry pop song, now setting aside your moral repugnance at having to memorize Katy Perry, I'm just picking somebody at random, I will put money on the fact, I'll stake my fee for the day, in fact. I am getting paid for this. Okay, right? I, yeah, okay. Uh, I will stake my fee for the day 
that it's easier to remember those things now because they have pattern, rhyme, scansion, rhythm, and all of that kind of jazz. Okay, so if a, a line finishes with bright, you know the next line is likely to finish with fight or might or white or something along those lines. Where's the pattern here? Skills with an S, E for equipment, A for attitude. Let me bring that back up again. Whoops, a daisy. Let me move myself over to the right so you can see it. There you go. Skills, equipment, attitude. Acronyms are a form of pattern. S-E-A. I could have had different words that meant the same thing or the same words in different order, but it wouldn't have had that S-E-A thing. Incidentally, while I'm at it, that is also an example of principle number two, integrated and effort, because C-S-E-A is what you can see in the picture. Okay, those are the first three ones. They're dead simple. Let's move on to the two more powerful ones. One is called backstory. Backstory is the jargon term for getting your audience to think for themselves. And if you think about it just for one second, you know you've been on the receiving end of this because that's what they did at school. They asked you to work it out for yourself, left, right and centre. They gave you all the clues but they didn't often give you the answers. Why? Because you trust yourself more than you trust anybody else. The person on this call that you trust less than anybody else, me, random stranger you've never come across. But if you can get your audience to work it out for themselves, let me give you an example of that. Let me give you an example. Okay, so I have a team member called Claire. He's an, she's an English literature graduate. She reckons that this guy is the greatest writer the English language has ever produced. I reckon she's wrong, it's Shakespeare, and I'm right because I'm the boss. That's how it works around here. If you believe that, you'll believe anything. But anybody, any any, any guesses on this guy? You should be able to recognize him. Hemingway, Carol, yeah, yeah, Hemingway, spot on. Hemingway is famous for having written a short story of only six words. He didn't write it. His publishers pretended he did. But I put it to you that that isn't a story. That's an advert. The story you have made up inside your own heads. That is an example of backstory. It is when you get your audience to do the work. And you do that by things like asking them questions or going, can anybody tell me? Or does anybody have any bright ideas? And all of that kind of jazz. Okay. Principle number five. This one's very personal. I'm going to illustrate it using a story. Um, some of you have met me before, I guess. Uh, there's a couple of names I've recognised on the list there. Um, and I don't know if you know, but I can't dance, don't dance, hate dancing, won't dance. Just didn't even dance at my wedding. Okay, so on a scale of one to ten for romantic, somebody who does not dance at his own wedding has got a score you know, one or two, maybe I turned up. Um, but that's about the only romantic thing I did at my wedding. So for my 25th wedding anniversary, uh, without telling my wife, I, I learned to dance. I took secretly, I took waltz classes. Okay. And uh, I took waltz classes from a lady called Amanda. And I went to the big dance, um, the big dance thing. Dance studio here in Newcastle upon Tyne, and I was taught by a professional dancer with another professional dancer, and uh, and all of that kind of all of that kind of thing. 
I had the dancer in hold to learn how to, to waltz. And then Amanda, the teacher, didn't put PowerPoint bullet slides up. She didn't go bullet point one, left foot forward, bullet point two, right foot forward and out, bullet point three, bring your left foot to your right foot, bullet point four, take your right foot back. No, she didn't. What she did was she got hold of my feet and danced me. For the first half an hour of my first waltz class, I was danced like a puppet, right? Because the best way to learn to do anything is to do it. So principle number five here for your courses, for your videos, for your presentations, as far as you possibly can, I want you to match the medium to the message. And that means if you've got a video of it, show it. If you've got photographs of it, show it. If you can get everybody to do it, then do it. If you've got an app, show the damn thing and all of that kind of jazz. Don't just give them the abstract Give them the thing as far as you can possibly, possibly, possibly simulate it. Okay. Now, I'm going to show you a photo now uh, of me at my 25th wedding anniversary. There are 90 people in the room. The only person who doesn't know what is going on is my sainted wife. And the only warning she got was when my elder daughter did a toast and finished off with, Dad, it's about time. It's about time you did something you should have done 25 years ago. And if I don't get an R for this photo, I'm really going to, really going to sulk. Okay, here we go. There you are. There's me and my sainted wife. What she doesn't know what's going on. The only warning she got was eight bar introduction. So now I'm scoring high, aren't I? But match the medium to the message as far as you possibly can. Just out of interest, by show of hands, you've met me. You can see a photograph of me. You have seen a photograph of my wife. Just let me know. Just confirm this for me. I am so punching above my weight, aren't I? She is so, so, so much better than I deserve. Okay, so there are your five principles. Make it attractive. Hang on, I'll bring myself in on the right-hand side underneath the astronaut. There you go. Make it attractive. Make it integrated and slick. Give it as many patterns as you can. Use backstory to get your audience to think for themselves. And as far as you possibly can, I want you to match the medium to the message. Okay? So those are your five principles. Those are the things you needed but didn't want. So for the last 10 minutes I've got here, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of dirty tricks about things that you need. And these are things that you probably think you do want, right? I've done the important bit beforehand. This is the stuff that you probably don't, you know, you probably know you need this bit. So it's less important to me. Okay, so use case studies all the time. Use case studies. Don't just tell people what to do. Sneak in a, and for example, so-and-so did such and such. I'll talk about that more later on. Keep rolling is all about your camera because quite often if you're taking a video uh, a video for your presentation, if you have the push button to start recording thing and then you start speaking, you're really, really nervous. So uh, a dirty trick is to start your camera 10 minutes before you start your recording, um, or sorry, start your recording 10 minutes before you start your presentation and just when you're ready, start so that it is no big deal. There's not a, oh my God, it's the start moment. Okay. There are two reasons for this bit, not making visual slides oral. The first is 
if you start to read a slide out loud, it means that somebody can wander off and make a cup of tea and all of that kind of jazz and not pay attention. So a better trick is to go, as you can see on the slide, and not read the damn thing to them <laughs> so that people have got to come back and pay attention. But the other reason that's, uh, that it's important is this one, okay? Um, stuff that comes in by your ears and your eyes, both of those things end up in the same place. You'd kind of like to think that having visual and audio at the same time mean that you'd get two input streams so you'd have double the chance of remembering anything. In fact, what happens is that, mm, do you know what? It all goes horribly wrong because you get words coming in that way and that way, and they get jammed in this part of your head where you're trying to do too many things at the same time because you're kind of going, what do these, what do these sounds mean? And what do these things that I'm seeing mean at the same time? Okay, uh, dropping a talking head. You've seen me do this a lot as the slides have gone on. This is a kind of, if you can possibly just show your face as you are doing things, always a good plan. And I'll talk a little bit more detail, technical detail about that in just a moment. And here's my favorite one, low tech for the win. If you have been slick, so if your presentation has been slick, you can get away with, and you should use low-tech presentation stuff every now and again. You only do this if your presentation is slick, but if it is slick, you can say things like, here are some cave drawings that I had. So what happens is, if you attack the buffalo from the front, you all die. If you attack the buffalo from the back, however, you successfully kill it. And by going from high-tech to low-tech, you really get your audience to pay attention. The reason I am so stressing that you can got to do, you've got to have slick presentations when you do that is because <laughs> you've got to make it look like you are choosing to be low-tech, right? So choosing to be low-tech rather than having to be low-tech. And I use something called Neuter to do this, bake in the closed captions, because the vast majority of stuff now, even videos, is, is, is kind of watched, not listened to. So for goodness sake, bake in the, uh, the closed captions, the credits, so that people can read what it is that you are talking about. I said you should use case studies. I wanna give you a warning here, very, very quickly give you a warning here. You start your presentation and, and you get to the end and you as well as I do, the problem with most presentations is that those beginning and the ends, that's too far apart. Assuming it's not too far apart, the mistake that most people use when they start using stories for emotional engagement is they use this structure for their presentations, for their videos and all of that kind of, all of that kind of jazz. They tell a story and then they hook on a useful tool. Or sometimes they tell a story and they get so excited they forget the useful tool, uh, whatever. A better way of doing it is to do it the way your teachers did it when you were at school, okay? Now, I'm going to give you an example here of why you should put the tool before the story, not the story before the tool, the tool before the story. Okay, so I've been working at home quite a lot. And when I'm working at home, my wife is downstairs and sometimes she will shout upstairs, would you like a cup of tea, Simon? Now, I don't know I'm supposed to pay attention. I don't know I'm supposed to pay attention until I hear the word Simon. 
Wouldn't it make more sense? Aren't I much more likely to listen if instead of saying, would you like a cup of tea, Simon? She shouts up, Simon, would you like a cup of tea? Or better still, we make it interactive by her going, Simon, wait for me to go, uh, yeah? And then say, would you like a cup of tea? That would be great. So here's how you use that analogy in your presentations. Instead of telling stories and hooking your ideas on them, you tell people what the hell it is they are supposed to be learning, and then you give them backup stories for it. Let me just bring myself in over onto the left-hand side. So you tell people what it is they're going to learn and then give them a case study story. Give them something else to learn. Give them more case study stories. Tell them something else they're going to learn and all of that kind of jazz. You've got the idea by now. Okay. So I said I would just show you a, a trick for talking heads. Now, this next slide I'm going to show you. Gosh, it is an awful slide. I literally cobbled it together when I was half asleep this morning just to prove how easy it is using Canva. PowerPoint can't yet do this conveniently. There is a beta test version of it coming, but it not, can't actually do it at the moment. So here is a way, a dirty trick of doing it. What you do is you use Canva to create a shape you drag a pre-recorded video into that shape. You export it from Canva as an MP4 and you bung that MP4 into PowerPoint, which means you can do this. I this is uh, me in scruffies because it's the weekend demonstrating how to record something on a Canva presentation. I find it's particularly useful. If you can... There you go. All right. So uh, you get the idea. Right. If you can do that in your presentations, and if you're stuck, just, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you throughout how you do that over and over and over again. But if you get stuck on doing that, anything you can do to get your head in there every now and again is great. Yes, I'll go over the, I'll go over the Canva idea in just a moment. We'll bung it in the questions or um, I'll write a blog on it or something along those lines. One last little tip here before I call it then start taking questions is to keep it moving. So the reason I say keep it moving is this. In live presentations, you can hold a slide up there for as long as your charisma will take. Unfortunately, because you're online or because you're recorded or all of that kind of jazz, you don't have the charisma live that you would have live, which means audiences get bored and they stop paying attention an awful, awful lot more quickly. Okay, which means that on average, you want something to happen every 30 seconds at least. All right. I know that sounds horrible, but every 30 seconds at least. It doesn't have to be much. It just has to be something, some kind of change. OK, so let me just do the horrible, horrible bit that I always hate at the end of these things because I'm a Brit and we don't do these things very well. Um, if you have no money and you want to get more presentations advice, go to presentationgenius.info slash hi and I will send you an almost almost weekly tip sheet. It's supposed to be weekly, but hey, I'm busy and I'm a little bit lazy. So it's almost weekly. If you're serious about getting your better presentations, then go to presentationgenius.info slash shop and you can buy all kinds of goodies. One of which is reluctant.presentationgenius.info. This is if you are an anxious or nervous storyteller of any kind or a nervous presenter, that's the thing you should be, that's the thing you should be starting with. Okay, so I'll just make myself a little bit bigger so that you can see me better. There we go. Okay, that's it. I'm done. 
I hope you have found it useful. I'm going to hang around. Look at that. I finished with a minute to spare, Kevin. So sue me. I'm just going to take my face Amazing. nice and big and throw me up those questions. So, I mean, I just will say, yes, um, you are punching above your weight with your wife. And even she makes you tea. Man, you've got that sus. You need to do something big for your next big anniversary. I'm telling you. Um, we are coming up for our 40th wedding anniversary now. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, what can I say? She made she made one good decision 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get back on topic. Great presentation. Thoroughly enjoy it. Um, don't worry if you've missed the links. Um, they're gonna the links for all of the speakers' offers are gonna be put with the replay. So don't worry, it will be available to you to go and look at afterwards. So if you didn't quite get time to write it down. Don't panic. You're going to get access to it. Simon's stuff I've personally used. It's amazing. I have to say, which is why I invited him on here, because I know how great he is. I won't say that too many times because the screen will start getting smaller and his head will start getting bigger. But no, really, really good. Now, Simon, a couple of questions have come in. And one of them that I want to address, because a couple of people have asked it, they're asking you about your tech setup, um, because they quite like the way you've presented this today. So is that a difficult setup? Do you want to just talk a little bit about that? It depends whether you're on Windows or a Mac. Okay. If you're on a Mac, it's dead easy. It's a hundred and thirty. Last time I looked, it was one hundred and thirty dollars for a piece of software called Ecam, which allows me to do all kinds of funky things. Some of which you've seen before. So, for example, I can let's superimpose Godzilla, or I can do all kinds of or buffering. The real Simon is loading. I can do all kinds of, of funky things with it. If you are on a Windows machine, it is, as always, slightly harder. The The best way to do it on a Windows machine is to use OBS, Open Broadcast Studio, which is a little bit clunky compared to Ecamm, but it does more or less the same sorts of things. Cool. Um, so Ranger came in with a question, which I thought was quite interesting. When you were talking about the visually attractive part on the segments, um, so his question was, does this mean that you do different types of presentations on, for instance, a live webinar to a recorded one? Is there a difference in the way that you sort of approach it and do that? So long as it looks good, that's the that's the key thing. Uh, that's the that's, that's the high priority. The, the main advantage of a live webinar is that you can respond to questions. So as, as you're doing now, as people have asked me the same question, if, if two or three people have asked me a question, you can throw that at me. Um, going back to the Ecamm or OBS software, Open Broadcast Studio software, the big advantage of that is that it means that I then don't have to go back and do massive, great editing jobs before I do a recorded stuff. So you could just record the live webinar as I've done it now with all this kind of mucking about where I turn myself off or I make myself small or I move myself, all of that kind of jazz, you can record that and boom, you've just saved yourself hundreds of hours of uh, of editing. Oh. Um, another one that comes up and this comes up a lot in the boot camps that we run um, and I hear in the community that we've got for Zenda as well. Sorry, in Kevin, can I just, can I just, I've just had a thought. Let me just have a thought. I'll just bung something in the chat while you're doing that. Uh, okay. A while ago, I wrote a blog about my studio setup because I've got actually quite a cheap studio setup. Uh, so as soon as I've uh, – there you go. I'll just copy-paste. There you go. There's a blog that I wrote about my studio. It cost me under 200 quid to set up the entire studio, and $100 of that was on the microphone. So a question that does come up a lot, and it has been asked, um, so I'm going to bring it up. Um, 
we talked about not reading slides and you mentioned that and I, you know it's, it's good practice not to do that but how do you remember in a video what you're going to say if you're not <laughs> reading it from somewhere because it's you know we've all seen it with like that and it's all very unnatural right. lots of the, the the best way the least realistic to do but the best way is to know your stuff so much that you don't need to have a script written right? that's that's the ideal if you do have to have a script, if you're using PowerPoint, you can just use presenter view, which means that I can see stuff different to what the audience sees. And in my presenter view, I've got notes for those particular slides. So uh, you, I'll just do it now. If I just glance to the side there, um, I've seen, I've got text this big, which reminds me of what I'm going to say. That's it. That's all there is to it. I look back at the camera and I've read three or four bullet points that remind me of what it is that I'm going to be, I'm going to be saying. Two other ways of doing it. The first is you can buy apps which superimpose your script and roll it up the screen as you are talking. It takes a lot of skill to use those, but if you can master them, awesome. Alternatively, uh, the, the cheap and nasty one that gives you high energy is just to do three minutes of video, stop, do another three videos, three minutes of video, stop, do another three, and just put just edit out the bits in between while you go, oh, what am I? Oh. Edit out those bits <laughs> and just put blatant jump cuts between the bits of your presentation. Cool. Um, one of the things I really liked that you said was when you were referring to the graph and you were talking about splitting it up, the presentation that you were doing. Um, uh, the first thing is, is that does that correlate to a certain length of presentation? As in, if you're doing an hour's keynote against doing a 15 minute training, how does that work? Uh, in an ideal world, I know the world is not ideal, but in an ideal world, about eight minute segments are about the maximum that people can concentrate for. And that wasn't quite the question you asked, but I'm going to answer. I'm going to pretend that was the question you asked because that's a question you should have asked. Um, about eight minutes is the is the minimum is is the maximum. Uh, three minutes to eight minutes is the golden slot, which kind of works well for SEO in some ways as well. But if in doubt. Two short videos is always better than one long video. Right, because I do think people get caught up with if they're doing something, it becomes a longer and longer and longer video. Yep. Rather than having the confidence to cut it off at a natural break point. So a, a really simple trick then is to pretend that you are explaining it to a 12-year-old. Uh, how much information do I need to give a 12-year-old? And as soon as you've given them enough information stop that's it okay um sometimes with my tongue in my cheek please don't get offended by anybody by by, by this for anybody but sometimes my tongue in my cheek i've said imagine you are explaining uh reproduction explaining your you're explaining sex to a child yes i know by 12 they should know it but you don't go into the mechanics of how it is done you give them a very high level thing of well when such and such and such and such and that's and the point when they go, okay, thanks, Dad, got it. I don't want any more. As soon as the child starts getting grossed out, you know you've gone too far. It's the that's a horrible analogy, but it gives you some kind of indication as to how much detail you should go into, and then stop the video, go away, do something else, come back, do a different one. Oh, Alice, have I missed any questions that have come in? Have you got any springing to mind? No, there's been some a lot of great um, feedback here in the chat, though. So that's that's very good. Awesome. Simon, thank you so much for your time. Um, you really are, appreciate but... it. 
Um, so for everybody that is watching, Simon's put his blog in there. He's put a blog post link in there, but if you know, you can have a search around, there'll be other stuff on there as well, uh, which is really, really useful. Uh, we'll make sure the links go out to everybody as well. Simon, it's been absolutely brilliant. Um, thank you so much for your time and to present on our conference, our first conference speaker for the year. Amazing. Okay. Um, One last parting shot, Kevin. Um, I'm going to hang around and I will answer all the questions I can see popping up in the chat. I'll answer them all one at a time. Give me a second to have a cup of tea, everybody, and then I will start answering those questions. Brilliant. Appreciate it, Simon, as ever. Pleasure to have you on um, and great seeing you. Thank you so much. Take care. Catch you later. Okay, so for those of you that are just joining us, that was our first speaker for the Elevate Conference. Uh, so this is our live virtual conference here as hosted by Zenla. But for you, if you are a course creator, if you are already an established course creator, you're looking to up your game or you're just thinking, you know what, I want to have a go at doing this but you're not quite sure what it is or how you're going to achieve it, then this conference is for you. Um, and as we've just demonstrated, Simon's stuff is outstanding. It really, after all these years I've been running courses, it still gets me thinking. Um, Alice, what was your key takeaway from that today? For me, the key takeaway was about keeping it simple when it comes to your presentation, not you know, trying to overwhelm people, the whole idea about, um, you know, you as the expert knowing all of the information and then just, you know, trying to give all of that information to people, it's just too overwhelming. And I think um, as course creators, I see that a lot, even in our community where people just want to do so much, they want to do the most. And then what happens is, you know, your students cannot um, process all of that. They can't learn all of that that way. So uh, keeping it simple. And I, I think um, sometimes it's nice to hear from a professional that keeping it simple is actually a good thing. You can do that. And it's still a lot more valuable because people take away more from it. 